0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Research Radio, a podcast of the Economic and Political Weekly. I am Johan and today we have with us Professor Mukul Sharma who will be discussing his work on Dalits and the environmental movement in India. Professor Mukul Sharma currently teaches environmental studies at Ashoka University in Sonipat. He has authored numerous articles including some published in the EPW. He has also published books in Hindi and in English. A recent book that is relevant to our theme today is titled Caste and Nature, Dalits and Indian Environmental Politics and is available in both English and Hindi. Welcome Professor Sharma and thank you so much for sharing your time with us today.
1: Thank you very much for having me here.
0: Professor Sharma, the starting point of your work is the observation that there seems to be a friction or at least some discomfort between Dalits and the environmental movement in India. What was it that led you to down this path of inquiry?
1: You know, in June 1997, Gay Longwith published a small but significant article. The article was titled, Why Dalits Dislike Environmentalists. The article pointed to the alienation between the two of the most powerful social movements in India, the anti-caste movement, and the environmental movement this was very revealing to me uh, for example gail omvedt talked about the environmentalist descriptions and dalit descriptions of pre british indian villages that reveal entirely different worlds one is a world of uh, harmony with nature of different caste specializations resulting in sustainable feeling of ecological niche and non-competitive relations with each other, almost like the autonomous little republic that described by the British. Whereas Dalit presents a picture of domination and tyranny with significant sections of the village excluded even from its human membership and almost all forced into narrow fragmented lives. Uh, along with uh, talked about Mahatma Gandhi uh, calling uh, villages as a symbol of Ramraj and Ambedkar uh, calling of village as cesspools. The contrast between these two uh, perspectives. So that was very revealing. Mm-hmm. This was also the time, the decade uh, when I was working as a professional language journalist and was extensively covering the environmental and labor issues and their initiatives and movements in India. Uh, in the in 1990s, I visited Raleigh Siddhi and Anna Hajare thrice. Uh, Raleigh Siddhi and its leader, you know, uh, Anna Hajare were being hailed widely all over the country. Uh, the village had evolved and implemented Uh, paths of watershed development and environmental conservation. Uh, Their idea was to unite the villagers to work on a rural landscape and transform a dry and barren region into lush green uh, for the betterment of all. Uh, And the landscape of uh, Rallegon City, uh, you know, uh, represented a, a specific natural environment. Uh, the process and effect of hard, unjust environment, uh, of like, like land erosion, uh, deforestation, and, and, and desertification, and how a community, a village, a leader can successfully challenge that unjust natural environment. But when I visited the Dalit Basti of Ralegon Siddhi, uh, they had a different perception of Ralegon Siddhi and Anna Hajari. Dalits were not only pursuing their traditional occupation, but they also started stated how they are the people uh, who provide service to the village family, how the village family was uh, an unequal family structure. People who have land or jobs in the military uh, have a different level of development. The integration of Dalits into that ideal green village uh, had two components in Raleighaun, Siddhi, that I uh, discovered. One was to assume that they were always there to perform some duties and necessary services. And second, their usefulness justified their existence in the present. And when I talked to Anna Hajare, uh, he explained that uh, it was Mahatma Gandhi's vision that every village should have one Chamar, one Sunar, one Kumhar, and so on. Uh, and they should all do their work according to their role and occupation. And in this way, a village will be self depend- dependent. That is what uh, they were practicing in Ralegon Siddhi. Uh, and, and during this time, I was also widely covering the Anti Tihri Dam. And anti-Sardar Sarovar Dam movements, and in these movement, I found Dalit participation marginal, and there was not much enthusiasm amongst Dalit about the movement. So, such readings, such observation, and many field works, in fact, led me to this path of inquiry about the interrelationship between. Dalit and Indian environmental politics. And finally, uh, I must mention here that uh, there were some other important influences on me in this regard. For example, my readings on race, environment, Blacks, and African-Americans, uh, the role of African-Americans in, in environmental st- struggles of USA, uh, which raised issues of pollution, toxicity, health, housing, sanitation, and I notice its ample resemblances to concern of Dalits in their everyday social and ecological struggles. Of course, in the course of Dalit, pollution and toxicity do not just impact their health and environment. uh, Their very existence is considered polluted by birth caste and occupation, you know. So all these uh, things actually made me to uh, take up this research and and for the first time uh, write on this issue in EPW.
0: In your paper, you mentioned that some strands of Indian environmentalism see environmental degradation as a Western colonial import and see pre-colonial India as some sort of environmental utopia. Interestingly, you also say that this is used as a means to justify the caste system. Could you elaborate a bit more on this?
1: Certainly. Uh, You know, our environmental history has richly described how colonial circuits interred natural resources and people's lives and how they established a centralized bureaucratic, scientific, and modern system of management, which also created uh, currents for discontents and, and struggles. Uh, political ecologists have emphasized vital issues of ownership, uh, access, and ability of natural resources, and the role of a state, market, and community. Environmental academicians and activists have focused on increasing alienation and displacement of the poor from their resources and unequal burdens imposed on them for development and modernization of the country, feminists and anthropologists have raised critical questions about naturalness of the natural order and pointed out how layers of power work within gender, caste, and nature. But you know, nature and its social history have rarely been seen from a caste angle. I would also say that it is important to recognize the richness of Indian life and its manifestation in nature. However, uncritically glamorizing the Indian past, championing the caste-based occupations as climate champions or nature warriors in case of west speakers not considering the caste at all are the ways to justify the caste system and its manifestations in environmental politics also the so called indian approach to nature is where environment is understood as divine cosmic intrinsic Conforming to the laws of nature, society is viewed here as natural based on natural principles whereby modernity, industry, science, technology are described as Western, materialist, consumerist and thereby unnatural and uncultural. In such understandings, Indian environment is believed to be under threat from outside forces. Therefore, protection of environment is synonymous with protection of Indian culture, tradition, and nation. Indian culture here, you know, consists comprehensively of our family, customs, faith, rituals, ceremonies, social systems, values, ethics... and and many more. So I call it Mm eco-castism and contemporary eco-castism, in my understanding, represents a distinctive form of Indian environmentalism. This is very often grounded in a justification of the caste system and a simultaneous opposition to modernity and enlightenment. Under an overarching broad rubric of social-ecological system, caste, division of labor, traditional occupation is sometimes seen as a progenitor of the concept of sustainable development. It has been argued by some well-known environmentalists that caste system signified conservation from below a remarkable system of ecological adaptation and high level of specialization, where caste groups in a web of mutually supportive relationships helped resource conservation. So, eco-castism have offered ecological arguments to explain the relationship between nature and caste culture in a positive way. In such arguments, it is said that natural environment determines the structure of society and its skill and knowledge, and culture is decided more by nature than by evolution, history, social institution, and individual endeavors. As a result of centuries of complex development of nature and the corresponding interaction with humans and environment, caste system became more nuanced, multi layered, and stable in Indian society. And the conclusion here, by again a well known uh, environmentalist and anthropologist, and the conclusion is that Varna structure is essentially ecological in its logic. There are many versions of such eco castism. For example, it has been claimed that agro climatic zones like Gangetic Plains, from where I come from, uh, because of their rich natural resources could mold the ecosystem, life, and ways of living and working, which in turn gave shape to certain sections of labor as repositories of traditional knowledge system. So in this way, uh, you see justifying the caste system uh, through various layers of eco uh, ecocastism that I gave you uh, some examples here.
0: Thank you, Professor Sharma. I think uh, you cite two examples in the papers that we mentioned today. One is the Vrindavan Conservation Project and the other is the Raligan Siddhi. And I think this is interesting because they are usually hailed as success stories in environmental discourses. But you argue that Dalits have either been excluded or when they have been included, they have been included in a way that does not allow them any social mobility. Why do you think that empowerment of Dalits poses such a challenge to Indian environmentalism?
1: Thank you very much for referring the paper on Raleigham, Siddhi and Brindavan. Uh, I am sure your readers uh, will be uh, reading them uh, while while listening to this podcast. So I will not give you the examples from those two papers. I will Mm -hmm. give you another example here to explain, as you said, that how uh, hailed as success stories in environmental discourse exclude Dalit or does Mm -hmm. not allow them any social mobility even when they are included. So take an example of National Action Plan on Climate Change, uh, a well-known document of Mm -hmm. Government of India that hails the informal sector of waste picking and recycling as the backbone of India's highly effective recycling system and wishes to strengthen the informal sector system of collections and recycling. This is NAPCC uh, 2008. Similarly, uh, several environmental organizations meticulously calculate the mitigation of greenhouse gases by informal waste pickers. They are characterized as cooling agents, climate entrepreneurs, climate champions, who should be given rights, protection, and incentive to do do the same job that the Manu code has determined for them since centuries. It is no surprise that such climate concern has no reference to its embodiment in caste and polluted Dalit bodies. These studies do not even mention caste or Dalit-related issues even once. Such hypocrisy in the views of climate experts makes them avoid questions of alternatives to these socially stigmatized, hijardish and caste-based occupations. For example, the question that if sanitation work is being modernized through technology and privatization, then who will be benefited from the profit-making sanitation industries? Question like that, will Dalit be displaced or should they actually be the first one to be offered to start such modernized private or cooperative models with a status and safety? Should not their own enterprises or cooperative be be the basis of such changes? Should uh, Dalit themselves move to better paying jobs with higher status, which possibly are less likely to be offered to them because of untouchability, exclusion and discrimination? So these kinds of examples are there uh, where uh, by not recognizing the importance of caste, and the caste-related discrimination and exclusion, uh, Dalits are either totally excluded, and even when they're uh, included, uh, their questions are not being addressed uh, properly. Now, the other part of your question that how Dalits and their empowerment can pose challenge to Indian environmentalism, you know, the interrelationship between Dalit an environment is complex and conflict-ridden. Anthropocentric or biocentric view of environment are primarily based on human experiences. However, the experience of an untouchable or an outcast or a bonded laborer, often considered as less than a human being, are not compatible with binaries of human nature. They challenge us to understand the meaning and implications of nature for those living on the margins of human existence. Also, since the past few decades, varieties of environmentalism have successfully portrayed a collective identity of the poor in environmental movements of North and South. Yet it is also being recognized time and again that these movements have long excluded untouchable and Dalits, and have either ignored their disproportionate environmental losses and risk or have included them in the broad rubric of the poor. More in t- importantly, uh, in the realm of uh, civil society and environmental activism, uh, we have witnessed the muted upper caste modern Indian self in constant perpetual denial of caste. You know, Dalit have a rich and diverse environmental history and sensibility. Mm -hmm. Their relationship to environment manifests through regular collaboration and conflict with Brahmin-dominated eco-space as well as in creation of their own autonomous space they have their distinct environmental memory and language this is also true that dalits have generally articulated this under the rubric of social as opposed to explicitly environmental for example when chamars of north india launched the nara maveshi movement in the mid 1950s that continued in North India till 1980s and 1990s, uh, to shed their polluting caste-based occupation, they had concerns of labor, livelihood, animal, and environment. Another example that the emergence of land issues in the 90s, in the 1960s and 70s and 80s, was aimed at revisiting its origin, access, distribution, conservation, continuity, and memory. So, such sensibility and language uh, has been there historically even in anti-caste thinking and activism. Uh, One of the key principles of Ambedkar, Phule, Periyar was how to deal with village, land, agriculture, water, and forest. So, Dalit voices can uh, enlarge and enrich our environmental imagination. There is a wealth of Dalit eco-literature, I would say. Poems, paintings, stories, music, folklore, coming from diverse regions and communities. Uh, Dalit myths and legends of Mayavel and Jasma, Dina and Bhadri underline their dreams and desire for ecological belongings. They have their gods and goddesses Uh, pujas and festival, which is also there in my paper published in EPW. So Dalits are active ecological agents in their own right, and their understanding of nature and ethics, uh, planning and management of resources, labour and environment are intertwined with narratives of social justice. So one can attempt to uncover Dalit environment traditions, by exploring their thoughts and practices in different regions. We can draw on Dalit narratives and writings and theoretical works produced by uh, advocates of caste annihilation and equality. In a caste society, there is a need to understand how Dalit experience and express human relationship to the natural world flow out from their social, economic, political, and ecological context together. Uh, dealing from different historical periods and geographical reason, we come across the themes of labor, water, agriculture, place, myth, music, social justice, coming out prominently in Dalit understanding on environment, attempts at universalization of, of a space in historical, mythical, and contemporary terms uh, represent a major trend in Dalit activism and thoughts on environment. The notion of new commons and its uh, representation as an accessible universal speciality is crucial for Dalits in nature. These arenas, I would say, can serve as challenging points, as lighthouse to locate diverse aspect of relationship between uh, caste nature dalit and environment they can enrich our understanding of environmental issues and politics uh, can creatively positively challenge the uh, traditional environmentalism or i would say dominant environmentalism in india mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. professor sharma i'd like to touch on the issue of beef eating that you mentioned in your paper do you think that The critique of beef-eating in India, when couched in environmental terms, is a thinly veiled front for attacking meat-eating communities?
1: Thank you very much for asking this contemporary question. Uh, You know, controversy over beef-eating or the critique of beef-eating again connect us to the question of why and how do caste and its culture determine pure and impure food? what we eat and what we prefer to eat. Mm -hmm. How is the use of animals declared legitimate or illegitimate uh, through caste? So these questions become uh, very, very relevant to us uh, and the the criticality of caste here. You know, I I was explaining this eco-castism. Eco-castism uses nature and natural order to affirm the supremacy of natural order in major sphere of life. And that is also food, animal, livelihood, which is many a times synonymous with a conservative Hindu-Brahminical belief. Here food is a part of the ultimate reality Brahmin. It is culturally given along with the designated social ritual phages. Varnasam Dharma, according to which multiple scheme of food classification establish rules about appropriate eating and feeding. So within this framework, and I quote the, again the work of and an, an well-known environmentalist, the bull uh, represents dharma, moral principles, and the cow represents the earth. Mm-hmm. It is a tragedy that modern society does not appreciate the significance of caring for cows and bulls and prefers instead to kill them and eat them. However, Manu Smriti, the basic law book of Hinduism, considers the animal killer to be a murderer. It says that all involved in the act, the slaughterer, the butcher, the cook and the one who eats the meat are liable to nature's punishment, unquote. So thus we see the uh, attacks on meat-eating communities, again coming from the uh, eco-castism and the way it prescribes, subscribes a certain notion of uh, food, eating, dressing, uh, and many, many uh, aspects of our everyday
0: life. Mm -hmm. Professor Sharma, at one point in your paper, you list... A number of questions that were on your mind at the time of writing the paper. There were two themes among these questions that stood out to me. One of them is the relationship between Dalits and the traditional water management systems and the second was the logics of purity and pollution which seem to creep into in Indian environmentalism, some of which you've already touched upon. So I just wanted to know since it has been a while since that paper was published I was wondering if you have made any progress with regard to some of these questions, and if yes, could you share some of those insights with us?
1: Sure. Thank you very much. Uh, Look, uh, my interest in the subject inspired me to continue with this work. As you mentioned, I uh, worked on my book, Cast and Nature, uh, which was published um, in 2017, I also introduced an elective course on environment and social exclusion at my university, Ashoka University in 2020, which proved to be very popular and I got many insights from students. I also initiated an international webinar series on anti-caste politics and environmental justice and Dalit ecologies in 2020-21, organized by the Ambedkar Study Center Puram Evening Degree College, uh, Bengaluru, in collaboration with the Anti-Racist Research and Policy Center, American University. Uh, my forthcoming book is titled, Dalit Ecologies, Caste and Environment Justice. So one, one continues to grapple with some of these questions. Uh, I think that my earlier work focused more on a critique of eco-castism, the kind of examples you are referring about Dalit and traditional water management system and purity pollution creeping into Indian environmentalism. Now I'm trying to grapple or trying to uh, take the understanding of politics of caste, nature, and Dalits two steps forward by first locating environmental politics in Dalit literature culture, industry, technology, Anthropocene, and justice. And secondly, trying to illuminate Dalit environmental visions and voices in many familiar, unfamiliar terrains. Dalit Ecologies, uh, the forthcoming book, is all about uh, these things. Look, in Indian and South Asian context, these issues that you just now mentioned, uh, water, uh, purity, pollution, have to be substantially recognized within the politics of environment justice, I think. Such recognition will not only question eco-castism and the domination of Hindu Brahmanical environmentalism, but will also strengthen the pathways for distributional justice by ensuring equal access and rights of Dalit and lower caste to natural resources to industry, technology, and development. However, there are some important ecological, I would say, political, cosmological, psychological factors that have profoundly shaped Dalit environmental experiences. Anti-caste and Dalit literature emphasize that everyday practices of what constitutes environmental activity and thinking are also deeply structured by an archaeology of untouchability in body, contact, touch, smell, feel, belonging, work, and social connect. In in Dalit relations to environment, they articulate certain notions of nature that go beyond physicality, position, and distribution of resources, as environmental justice discourses have done in the past. my, my search of questions uh, in, in the context that you mentioned is to locate uh, how the language of experience, feeling, humiliation, dignity used often in Dalit movements also get integrated into the conception of environmental justice. So in this way, I'm trying to uh, answer the questions and develop this work um, in the, in the uh, contemporary times.
0: Mm-hmm. That brings me to my final question Professor Sharma. I like that in your paper you warn against treating Dalit attitudes to the environment as somehow better or valorizing them. If you agree that some of the problems of Indian environmentalism is precisely this that they treat pre-colonial India or women or Adivasis as essentially better for the environment How can we learn from Dalit experiences and approaches without falling into the same trap? Uh, Thank you
1: again for asking a very important um, uh, last but not the least um, uh, question. Look, the problems of Indian environmentalism, which I call traditional environmentalism or conventional environmentalist scholarship, is that it has often focused on perceived glorious past, tradition, community, culture, religion, uh, colonialism, uh, conflict, and conservation. Mm -hmm. While, as I have said earlier, an awareness and analysis of our our past is important for environmental research, we need to move beyond this. The generation of new environmental questions Mm -hmm. need to respond to a new environmentalism, especially in the context of caste, Dalit, identity, ethnicity, minority, democracy, development, traditional environmentalism and environmental politics, you know, have built the bedrock of their politics on community and nation. It is not likely, I think, that their concern will be altered altogether. Mm. However, the new generation of environmental activism and writing need to pay more attention to this unseen people and unheard voices with conflicting positions. There is not one position when I say uh, Dalit and Indian environmental politics. Within Dalits, there are multiple uh, contesting conflicting positions. So learning from Dalit experiences and approaches, uh, I would argue to develop and work uh, for a social justice approach. Uh, You know, key elements of social justice have been defined in terms of environmental inequalities, exclusion, discrimination, harms, victimization, distribution, access and rights, and their relevance to a specific uh, social group. Uh, If you read uh, David Harvey, Uh, He explained that the environment of justice can be posed by considering nature as internal to society and all ecological projects as political and social projects. Nature, according to him, wouldn't have existed in its present form had humans not been mixing their labor with the land all along. David Harvey further explains Uh, that the present and the future of nature, and he calls the new earth and the new humanity, should be understood through labor and spatial and social change. You know, from the perspective of social justice, the central question is whose nature? The mainstream environmental politics and ethics should frankly acknowledge the deeply troubling truth that nature which they seek to understand and protect is not out there but is very much produced in experience, ideas, imagination, labor, location right here where we live, where we work, where we play. Of course, I know that there will be many human persons of nature and they will also be contesting against each other, most welcome. For me, a social justice framework will include dignity and respect, protection of human rights, social equality, economic egalitarianism, where each person has the same right, opportunities and services as all other people in environmental social space. It marks active participation in socio-political environmental institutions and decision-making which affects individuals, groups, collectivities of which we are a part of. I think that uh, there are four concrete uh, propositions and be placed to make eco-justice, environmental justice, in the context of caste, Dalit, uh, more relevant. Uh, That is, justice as an active process, justice through maximizing liberty, justice dealing with issues comprehensively, and justice in temporal and spatial dimensions.
0: I think those are all my questions for today, Professor Sharma. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your time with us. Thank you very
1: much. It's my pleasure.
0: I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. You can find the articles discussed in today's episode in the show notes. To experience all that EPW has to offer, head over to epw.in today and subscribe. This is Johan saying bye-bye and see you next time on Research Radio.